Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology with me, Kyasha Zaitz. We're starting 2022 with an interview recorded right before New Year's. I spoke with McKinsey senior partner Carl Kellner and partner Venkat Inumela about how can healthcare technology leaders reassess and reposition the core technology agenda in the new decade. The area of healthcare digitalization is maturing and getting increasingly sophisticated. This is demanding healthcare and technology leaders to think more strategically than they perhaps were required to do a few years ago. And what I mean by that is that chief innovation or chief digital officers are moving more to the executive level where they need to take into consideration not just which tech solutions are really good, but which make most business sense at a given time for a given institution. In today's discussion, you'll hear about the current top challenges for healthcare leaders, how can healthcare providers do more with less, and other findings by McKinsey. Enjoy the show, and to browse through other episodes as well, go to facesofdigitalhealth.com. Happy 2022, and if you haven't yet, subscribe to the podcast to be notified about new episodes automatically. Now let's jump in the discussion. Carl Venkat, uh, welcome. I just uh, am very happy that we're going to have this discussion about the development of healthcare and what can we expect in the future. If we just look at the U.S. uh, healthcare system, it's changing very fast because of the way it's structured. There's a lot of innovation happening everywhere. One of the latest trends is that the digital health startups are becoming providers versus just selling into them. So for a little warm-up, Carl, can you maybe describe the current state traditional healthcare providers have found themselves in? Thank you, Tiasha. It is a dynamic marketplace in the U.S. today. And I think the short answer is that all of the above, right? We will have digital startups who are playing a meaningful role in the future of healthcare delivery. We will have established players today who remain leaders and are working in many cases with some of those partners, those vendors, those startups. If you break it down based on uh, traditional hospital acute setting, I think that is the area where some of the more traditional leaders remain entrenched, right? That is not an area where there's a lot of investment from startups or private equity or sponsors. However, as you move away from that and you get into areas urgent care, uh, like care in the home, like uh, disease management at a specialty level, uh, PMPM uh, care management at a global budgeting level, some of the MA at-risk models that are either physician or hospital-driven, there's a ton of investment in those areas. So uh, it does depend to some extent upon what part of the uh, healthcare delivery continuum uh, you're referring to, but we do see a lot of transformation occurring, uh, a lot of investment in technology, much more than I think many realize, right, in healthcare, because healthcare has always been viewed as an area that's a bit behind, right, certainly behind areas like consumer and tech, telecom uh, and consumer tech, but it's catching up. But yes, yeah, very dynamic. We will need all the solutions that are available. I think many of the leaders will remain leaders, but we'll be working very closely with some of the the new vendors, the start as they obtain these new capabilities around digital automation analytics. 
A lot of digitalization that happened in healthcare in the U.S. happened after the High Tech Act and after the huge financial infusion to digitize hospitals. To which extent do you see that all the pressure of the innovation that was now even accelerated with the rising investments during the pandemic, how is that impacting the market leaders, especially in the EHR space? Yeah, I think I can address that. And I'm sure Venkat has a few thoughts as well. It has accelerated everything, right? So COVID has served as a catalyst for engagement, adoption of technology, whether it be in the channel in terms of hospitals seeking to acquire and retain new patients, whether it is in the back office where even the smallest of hospital systems are using bots and other automated means to provide service to their patients. It could be in within care flow, right? Because clinical care flow is becoming digitized. So it's, it has really been a catalyst in many ways. Obviously, everything from the cloud to, as I said, ch new channel partners and, and clinical workflow that's been digitized and also even bots in the back office. It's interesting that while on the one hand, we're talking about accelerated innovation and investments in, in innovation, uh, on the second hand, what we also saw happening in the U.S. healthcare because of the pandemic was actually great financial strains that hospitals or healthcare providers have found themselves in because the market has changed for at least even for a short while so rapidly in terms of what were the urgent things that were needed and how those things can be provided. From that perspective, some hospitals or healthcare providers even stopped operating so how do you see that balance between the financial strains that have started happening and the money that healthcare providers can afford to invest in accelerating progress in digital innovation? I could take a stab, Carl, I should jump in there. It's, it's not unlike, you know, crises in other industries, right? I think that there will be organizations that will struggle to survive the financial and other stresses that exist. But a majority of them are investing quite a bit in adapting to this new environment or the new reality of it. And we are seeing and we are hopeful of seeing a lot of innovation coming, you know, from the stresses and best innovation happens when you're under uh, under the gun in, in a sense, which is what is happening now you know, across the chain of the healthcare, you know, e ecosystem from, you know, how you engage with patients, how you take risk and manage um, risk, how you redo operations within a hospital system, how you better enable the workforce. All of those are seeing improvement, perhaps not as much as all of us would like, but certainly the positive direction. Venkat, what do you see as some of the priorities that will need to be on top of the list for technology leaders, given that digital transformation is a multi-aspect project? So on the one hand, we've got user experience demands that are rising, Healthcare workers uh, and patients alike want a better experience with healthcare IT and applications. And on the back end, the healthcare IT infrastructure has to support these demands to assure data safety. So what are the, the top things that you see that just technology leaders in hospitals are trying to prioritize? You listed some of those already, right? I would, I would perhaps categorize the priorities in three buckets, if you will. Number one is, you know, all technology leaders, and I'm glad you used the word technology leader rather than CIO, because we do see the scope and the role of technology and technology leaders within health systems changing. So from being CIOs to, 
you know, chief digital officers, chief analytics officers, chief innovation officers, chief, uh, you know, data officers and so on. The, the first one is really investing in modernization of the technology infrastructure that exists in healthcare because historically, as in many other industries that have gone before healthcare, there has been a lot of underinvestment in technology right from infrastructure to applications to talent, really even. So that's number one, just if you will, making up for the technology debt is number one. The second one is beginning to drive, especially if you're a large health system, large traditional health system, for technology leaders, learning how to be the leaders of the innovation agenda and kind of the, the drivers of innovation within health systems is the second big priority, right? This innovation, both in terms of patient care, in terms of operations, in terms of business models that need to be able, all of those increasingly will require a great deal of technology enablement. And so becoming a, a backroom provider of technology services to an executive leader of innovation agenda, right, is the second priority. And then the third priority really is to do number one and number two in an environment, as you said earlier, of financial stress and financial pressures. And so how to do it frugally with get the most out of the little budget that you have, right, is going to be the third priority. And that will require both, you know, getting better at doing more with less in the traditional parts of the technology leader agenda, right, like maintaining, you know, using cloud more and so on, or using automation and so on but also carving out uh, a portion of the budget towards doing new things that they did not previously do, all the innovation pieces that we talked about. Given the fact that you gathered all this insight based on research with hundreds of organizations, what did you identify as some of the common challenges that healthcare providers face? There are a few. We we do conduct a fair amount of research. Um, I'll call out two or three themes that do come up repeatedly. These are certainly prominent in the U.S., but I would say that your audiences will find that these resonate even in the rest of the world, right? Number one, a good number of organizations find that technology investments have lower ROI than they expected or the first. So it it is hard to execute big transformative technology uh, programs. I think that is something that they're getting better at. That is something that we we see quite honestly across other industries as well. So that's, you know, this isn't industry that's learning to be better. That's number one. Number two, I think what a lot of organizations um, are realizing uh, somewhat late late uh, in the game, perhaps, is that you know, technology itself is the least of their you know, problems. It's not you know, sophisticated technology that you need to make a meaningful change in healthcare. Uh, what is required is taking technology that already exists and applying it uh, in a thoughtful, meaningful way that is both gets to outcome, but it is also kind of financially prudent. And that's the second one, which often it's easy to get um, excited by new technology that's at the cutting edge, but the vast majority of proves with that um, we can get in healthcare is through technology that's been there for a decade now. So that's, I think that's, that's number two. And then number three, and this is true particularly in the U.S., right, is that... Uh, as an industry, especially within the provider subsector, there has not been as much technology talent as some of the other industries have had. And so doing the things that we just talked about is going to take a lot of new technology acquisition, new technology upskilling, right, over the next several years that, you know, that they're not used to, right, quite frankly, more than uh, any time in the last two decades. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And you didn't even mention interoperability. Yeah. So look, we've been, as an industry, we've been talking about 
interoperability for a decade right since the high tech act we view interoperability as a, a an outcome right of things you do than as a destination i don't think that we will ever have perfect interoperability you will i, I think it's a continually evolving process where you get incrementally more interoperable to get the results that you need so there's no perfect universal interoperability I don't think that the US is anywhere close to that. I don't think that the US will get anywhere close to that anytime soon. And that's okay. Given where the rest of the bottlenecks are right now, in a lot of instances, interoperability is not the gating factor, right? It's reimbursement models, it's business models, it's the existence of uh, regulation, uh, right? Those are often the gating factors than just data interoperability alone. Yeah. And I would add some of the measures that are just as important as interoperability, maybe even more important are measures like the percentage of your patients that are engaging digitally. If you think about the percentage of your processes that are on the cloud today, right? The amount of your clinical workflow that is digitized, right? The extent to which you use automation for OR and other scheduling. So those are some of the outcomes-based metrics that are, again, maybe even more important than interoperability, which is more of an enabler, certainly relevant. But I agree with Venkat, it's it's moved a bit beyond that. Mm-hmm. Where do you see that... The question of data stands in terms of where it's going. There's a lot of pressure for patients to access data. There's a lot of talk about what kind of data that should be. If you move from one state to another in the U.S., you can take that data with you. So where do things stand in the data standards term? Um, Look, I think data is very important, right, for many reasons. One is what you just talked about. Ultimately, patients should be agree with that position that patients should own their data and be able to take that data wherever they go for care. So if they get the best possible care using all the information there is, that's certainly one aspect of it. But there are other aspects of it, which is around you can do with data that is meaningfully and thoughtfully put together, right? Usage of AI or developing um, protocols that benefit from data, not just within one system, but within a country and so on. I think that there's been a lot of movement on the first objective of getting patients access to their, they need a lot of systems have portals and you know, they're not perfect for sure and they will not be perfect perhaps for many years, but it's improving quite dramatically. Apple Health, Google Health, and they, they have been good catalysts for uh, for that movement. I think uh, we are pleased to see that and I think we, we think we'll continue to see that. I think on the second aspect of how do we make better use of all the data that we have within the system. I think we are very early in that um, process right now. Most data within the health system today just lying unused, right, from a data science standpoint. And uh, that's beginning to change. Now you see in the U.S., for example, there are you know, coalitions forming between provider systems that are trying to you know, exchange their data and build algorithms on top of those. The, the government continues to think about ways in which they can encourage uh, systems to exchange more data, right? for the purpose of the common research and so on and so forth. But that's very early and we think that's where the biggest opportunity lies. Mm-hmm. Since you mentioned that some hospital providers are uh, connecting to each other, I might want to ask Carl, uh, where do you see that CIOs struggle most when it comes to digital transformation and the topics that we just mentioned? Yeah, that's a great question because the CIO role is changing quite rapidly. And as Venkat mentioned, they're moving very much to the fore, right? To the center of 
the executive dialogue in most hospitals and health systems. And there's a new set of capabilities required as well from the CIO's organization, her or him themselves in terms of their own outlook. But they're becoming a partner with the CEO on questions of future strategy and investment for the organization. What that means in practical terms is it's a difficult role and it's often hard to uh, make the case for digitization unless there's a clear business case, if you will. And so I think CIOs are more and more involved in It's less project views of the world and of what needs to happen. It's much more product views of how the organization needs to transform from a technology adoption standpoint. Another way to think about it would be it's moving from a functional view, right? Almost a center of excellence view around technology, data, information management to a stakeholder journey-based view, right? Thinking across uh, silos, thinking about new means of investment in technology to support decisions, right? Strategic decisions that haven't been made yet versus reporting on kind of past metrics in the rear view mirror. So it is a rapidly evolving role. And in a lot of cases, the CIOs are becoming chief digital officers, CDOs, or in a lot of cases, they have that accountability in addition to all of the technology, the core technology requirements. But it's a challenging role. And I think one of the questions is always with digitization for a CIO, where do you start? Because it's, again, difficult to make the business case for digitizing everything for a small or mid-sized health system. It's a, it's a question to think through in terms of sources of value. Is it the channel that you start with? Is it automating the back office that you start with? Is it clinical um, workflow that you start with? And I think the best CIOs are able to quickly zero in on, on some sources of value across the value chain, if you will, and then build off of that to a more transformational kind of chassis. And then over time, digital really becomes almost like a business unit, right? Almost like a source of value at a BU for a sophisticated hospital system. So yeah, it's a very dynamic time for uh, for CIOs. I find that something that I want to dig a little bit deeper into, because earlier you said that there's becoming a, a realization that the ROI is not as high as one would hope. How does that impact the whole decision-making and planning of digital transformations? For a lot of hospitals in the U.S., the margins aren't that high to begin with. So you're right. The ROI is important, right? Because these are hospitals that are maybe making one or two percentage points on margin. And with COVID, it could be even lower. So I think it's a question of where do you make the investments to start and who do you partner with? In a lot of cases, I think you asked a good question earlier, and your audience would certainly be very familiar with this, but there are a lot of vendors and startups and potential partners that support digitization. And so hospitals are not saying we need to build all of this in-house. What they're saying is we need to obtain key strategic capabilities, and we need to do that in a way that's smart from an ROI standpoint. So that means partnerships. That means affiliations, alliances. It could even mean M&A, right? In certain cases, the basis for merging could be to invest more in digital and analytics and, and technology adoption. So the ROI question is a bit dependent upon where they are in that journey, in that life cycle, and being smart about where they start in order to ensure that the ROI is commensurate with their current margin. But we're convinced that even the the smaller hospitals are able to embark upon these digitization journeys in a way that's ROI positive, right? It's actually what's been helping them to reduce the reduction, the erosion in margin during COVID is this technology adoption, right? Whether it be through channel or or uh, clinical workflow or back office automation. These are things that are actually helping them reduce the decline in there or the erosion in their margin, or it would have been worse. So yes, there is a clear ROI, but it ha- you have to take a selective approach to how you embark upon that journey, where you start, and with whom you partner, right? Because the notion that you can build it all on your own is just uh, is just not the case. 
important. And sometimes financial crisis is exactly what one needs to be really thoughtful and selective in terms of where the funding goes. So Venkat, a million dollar question for you. How can CIOs and healthcare providers do more with less? Yeah, definitely a million dollar question, quite literally. I'm glad you got that question and not me, but uh, yes, it's a great question. Yeah, I think, look, maybe I'm, I'll talk about three or four things that help right in that direction. There's not a perfect answer. I think one, as in all such situations, focus is important, right? For all the reasons that we just talked about, it's easy if you're a technology leader in healthcare to be overwhelmed by everything that you have to do. Recognizing that you can't make progress um, on all things at the same time and zeroing on the three or four things that are both urgent but also highly valuable is going to be very critical. I think that's um, number one. And that might mean, for example, in the, you know, right now it might be focusing on the workforce. Now it might be focusing on you know, pandemic response and things like that. So that's number one. I think number two, to build on Carl's point, focusing on value. The value doesn't always necessarily have to be financial value, but being very clear about the value that you expect to get out of the technology investments you're making and holding yourself and kind of the technology organization or the technology industry really accountable to delivering that value will be important to unlock you know, additional investments to build confidence in the rest of the organization and the industry that this is the right direction to go. I think that's that's going to be key. And really that benefits from and builds off of that focus point, um, number one. Right? And then the third thing I'd call out is, I think it will be very important as we continue to invest in technology in this environment that we're in right now, that te- technology leaders begin to elevate themselves right into the executive suite, as um, Carl talked about, because a lot of uh, the success, right, of uh, the, both the investment agendas, but more important, more broadly, the transformation agendas, will um, depend on the technology leaders convincing and taking along the rest of the health system executives, uh, operationally, strategically, clinically, right? So it, it's a role that tech leaders have not historically had to play, and that, that's a steep learning curve for them. But I think it's going to be critical for them to succeed in uh, achieving some of these goals within the stressed, uh, constrained environment that we're uh, We talked a lot about uh, the technology, the digital transformation, but a, a huge thing in healthcare sustainability relates also to the workforce because of the known challenges with burnout in healthcare caused by technologies, especially EHR. There's trends like some institutions having a chief wellness officer to care for mental health well-being of healthcare workers. Has this been further amplified because of the pandemics? What are the observations there? Yeah, I think wellness, mental health, engagement on behavioral health, this is something that has always been important, but it's really come to the fore in a COVID context as many of these things are exacerbated. And hospitals are in the business of providing healthcare, right? So I think they're very attuned, very keyed into these challenges. And what they've done with their workforces is, and maybe I'll take a step back if I could, Tiasha, and just talk a little bit about holistically what health systems and hospitals are doing with their workforces. There's, it starts with treating them really well financially, right? So there's uh, an increase in hourly rates as you on average. Those are, there are sign-on bonuses now that were not common before. There's uh, crisis pay in some cases where you actually need crisis pay. So these are the financial mechanisms, and that doesn't always help from a wellness standpoint, but it's sending the right signal. So that's not enough. What, what else are they doing? 
they're investing in things like benefits, right? So the level of benefits um, around healthcare and behavioral health, mental health has expanded during COVID for hospitals and hospital systems. They're using this as a mechanism, well, number one, to do the right thing by their employees, but also to retain, right? To, to enhance their ability to retain their workforce during these difficult, these challenging times. They're also thinking about flexibility, right? From a scheduling standpoint, it, it had been fairly rigid for many years, right? They were either the 212s or the 38s, or there are different ways of scheduling that hospitals had and really not demonstrated flexibility around. And that's all changed. So there's much more focus on scheduling related to demand when you have peak hours scheduling that's tied to what works for employees, right? Because different employees have different preferences in terms of what level of flexibility they like, when they would like to work. And by the way, technology and technology adoption is actually enabling this, right? Because you're using tech tools to schedule, right? To actually make those changes to the schedule and also understand where there are new options for scheduling, right? You can use data to optimize workflow, not just on the clinical side in terms of the procedures that you're providing to your patients, but also on the supply side, if you will, in terms of your employees and your colleagues in the ORs and, and in the hospital and in the outpatient settings. So technology has really been helping there. And then finally, I think there's a really important message around conveying the importance of your employees, right? So demonstrating caring. I'm thinking of one hospital example where they've had very low turnover during COVID, it's a fairly large system. And one of the reasons is because every member of their executive team writes a personal note to frontline RNs every quarter thanking them. So they divide that responsibility up. And it's a very personal approach that shows appreciation, that demonstrates caring of the workforce at a time when that's really needed. So there are a lot of changes that are happening based on COVID. And all of these are designed to support employee well-being, employee mental health, and also retain. It's uh, so for healthcare providers uh, or doctors or nurses specifically, uh, it, the kind of the job opportunities are really increasing, not just because the workforce shortages are increasing in healthcare. Then you've got huge competition. And it's not just be between healthcare providers, but we mentioned how many deals have happened and how much innovation is happening. And all these innovation startups need healthcare experts and are more than happy to employ them and give them excellent working conditions in order to have them, right? That, that is correct. And in fact, we see talent moving from the U.S. to other markets where there is substantial investment in healthcare. As you think about Israel from a med tech standpoint, or you think about markets like India from a consumer engagement standpoint, it's not yet a fully global market uh, because healthcare financing is very dependent upon a given country, but it's more and more global and there's more and more investment available within healthcare. One other example of that is years ago, most of the sponsor money, the private equity money, the private investment in the U.S., was directed at biotech and pharmaceutical companies and some med devices. That has completely changed. So most of the investment now, the majority of the investment in healthcare in the U.S. is now in health services as opposed to the product side. So that's a, a seismic shift it very, that happened very quickly. And so to your point, there's just a lot of opportunity for talented individuals to lead some of these new organizations and innovate healthcare. Mm -hmm. And that shift happened because of the pandemic. So I would argue that did not happen because of the pandemic. I would argue that shift had already been occurring before the pandemic. Now, there's an open question about whether the pandemic accelerated it. It may have, but I think in some ways it accelerated it. In other ways, it may be pulled back a little. So the sources of investment stayed the same. They increased. But in terms of the, where that investment was directed, that may have adjusted, right? So areas like behavioral health, population health management, obviously anything related to kind of COVID diagnoses and uh, care 
those are areas that were very important from an investment standpoint. Other areas, I think, frankly, it was, there was a pullback, right? When you think about traditional fully insured commercial on the payer side, when you think about acute care in the hospital setting, physical plants, those are areas that aren't being invested in right now, perhaps. So yes, I think COVID changed the investment posture and strategies of a lot of the sponsors and private equity leaders, but I don't think it, it accelerated it any more than it was accelerated, if you will, before COVID. That trend existed, you know, several years before COVID. This goes to, to, to both of you. Is there anything, an example or trend that uh, you saw in the last two years that kind of surprised you? because of the whole global challenge that we're still kind of in. I can go first, right? One thing that's not surprising probably to a lot of your audience is the trend around both the rapid increase and then somewhat of a rapid decline in telehealth usage that especially happened in in the U.S. because of the pandemic. This time last year, the vast majority of hospital systems in the U.S., did almost 90% of their you know, outpatient visits using televisits. That, uh, that is now probably down to 10% now. It was 1% before, right? So it's still a tenfold increase. But the fact that uh, the industry showed it could go from 1% to high two-digit percentage numbers showed us, shows us what's possible. But then also the fact that we pulled back to a much smaller share of total virtual shows us both the inertia, right, of the system that exists in terms of consumer preferences, provider, physician preferences, right, some of the operational challenges, technology challenges in making that kind of thing work, which you don't notice when there's a crisis, but you do notice once things get back to normal. But it also shows us the opportunity that exists, right, of if we address some of those things, we can get back to that very high technology-enabled delivery model. And go much beyond just the virtual visits, truly using technology in terms of remote monitoring, in terms of clinical decision making and so on. So the opportunity is huge, but I think we got a a very quick peek into what is possible, right? Because of the nature of the crisis um, that we can all now work towards. The surprise for me was that with COVID, you actually saw an increase, right? In the level of innovation, the level of adoption of technology, frankly, the level of investment in technology. And I did not expect that, especially when we had COVID, the initial onset of COVID, where you had volumes that were through the floor. The system was, in a sense, frozen. Obviously, you had all the stay-at-home mandates and the other restrictions. And I think I personally expected some retrenchment, especially as margins eroded quite rapidly. And what you saw was a, a fairly quick recovery, right, at least in terms from an investment standpoint, an innovation standpoint among the hospital and the hospital executive teams out there where they said, look, we have no choice but to invest. We have no choice but to lean forward. We have no choice but to embrace some of these new technologies, whether they be telemedicine, again, whether they be digitization, AI, analytics for, to support growth. And they did that pretty rapidly. And they did that when it comes to settings of care as well. So moving from the acute inpatient setting into uh, the outpatient setting, ambulatory, the home care, these new models of home care that are out there today. Um, so they say, so this all happened rapidly and in a way that I think was largely unexpected. If we try to look a little bit into the future as something to wrap up the discussion with in a research done between 2014 and 2018, healthcare technology deals and investments have been disproportionately focused on three main categories, patient engagement, data and analytics, and new care models. So what do you expect to see will be the focus in the upcoming three to five years? 
Yeah, I could take a crack at that question. It's a good question. I My initial reaction is I do think things like new care models moving into population health management, data analytics, the ability to invest in AI. I think those are those same forces are going to apply in the next five years. I do think you'll have more pressure in areas shifting to a consumer based organization, investing in journey based analytics, journey based stakeholder management, which we talked about earlier. So those are some of the the slight permutations on how that investment and and how that M&A activity could adjust a bit. But I think that's a good list. And I think it'll only get added to because those forces are increasing, not necessarily decreasing. And for every one that's added, I'm not sure you're actually the other ones go away, if that makes sense. You're seeing uh, a larger number of forces that are at work that are encouraging this type of structural consolidation and combination. Venkat, do you have anything to add in terms of the expectations of the future based on the findings that you saw? Yeah, no, I agree with everything Carl said. I think of it as, if you look at, you talked about the high-tech act. If you think about the trajectory of technology for the past decade, a lot of the focus was on improving the continuum, right? Reducing care utilization, if you will, make sure patients don't show up in the ER if they don't have to, right? Make sure that we, we prevent incidents before they happen. There's a lot of, you know, the care model innovation, a lot of it was focused on reducing that utilization, unnecessary utilization. I think the opportunity and my expectation is, is certainly over the next several years is that an equal amount of focus will now go towards not just the overall utilization reduction rate, but on the on improving the unit costs of care. When they do need to come in, how can we make healthcare you know, using technology more sustainable and more cost efficient? This is better operations, this is better care protocols, this is you know better telehealth and virtual monitoring, AI uh, usage. That can reduce the, the unit cost of healthcare, regardless of what the utilization is. That is, I think, the next frontier, if you ask me, in terms of the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And how, just one last question based on the, the answer that you provided. I guess the hope with technology and with EHRs was to make healthcare more efficient, to gather data, do research out of it. But IT systems were designed the way they were. They, to a large extent, caused many problems for healthcare providers. We can question the data quality because of the data clerking and copy-pasting of information uh, about patients. To which extent do you think we can run into challenges in the future with new technologies and consequences that might not be as positive as we hope they could be? No, I think we'll run into challenges to a great extent, as we always have in healthcare. To the earlier point, we talked about all the funding, you know, there's $40 billion of VC funding that goes into health tech. This year, a lot of it is happening because they see private capital sees the same opportunity and the same inefficiencies, right? That that we see that innovation. Some of it may come from the incumbent either systems, right, or technology provi providers or EHRs, if you will. But a lot of it will a lot of it will come from new, younger health systems, younger technology providers that have a different and different tackling the same problems and. You know, not all systems will adapt them. Not all countries might adapt them at the same rate and at the same time. But over time, we will see more and more of that happen. I, I, I do expect that it will be slower than all of us want or hope for. But it will be, uh, I think, more certain than I think all of us expect in our experience. And we already see that happening you know, with a lot of our own clients. And in the U.S., even more outside of the U.S., I think about some of the technology applications that you see Asia, in China, in India, in Australia, for example, right? Uh, 
because they don't have the same burdens of legacy regulation, legacy technology as the US does. So I do think that'll happen. It might happen slowly, but certainly it'll happen. The only thing I would add is that I think the challenge is less around the fundamental technology, less around interoperability, frankly, less around data and data availability. Those are challenges, but I think on a relative basis, the challenges are much more around the business model and the level of talent within the organization, making the ROI work consistently, right, across even the smaller uh, hospital systems out there. So that's that's what we're seeing a lot of. It's not that these aren't all challenges. It's just a question of some of them are actually becoming bigger challenges um, than folks might expect. Uh, I think everyone thinks about interoperability and data, but oftentimes it's actually the, the business part of the equation that is the bigger barrier. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. This will help other listeners interested in digital health find the show as well. Coming up next week, an interview about the role of psych. An interview about the role of psychology in medical decision making with Talia Miron Schatz. Stay tuned. <laughs>